Inter Miami is back to playing matches. And unfortunately for the team's fans, Inter Miami is also back to losing matches. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. I am one half of your co-hosting team here on the podcast. My name is Franco Panizo and joining me this week is not El Primo Steve Brenner. So for those of you who like to listen to the show, just for El Primo, El Primo is not here. We are sorry to disappoint, but we filled in, well, we had someone fill in for him, a worthy candidate, and he is Austin Robillard. Austin, how are you, brother? I am good. I, I It feels a little unfortunate that I have to live up to the El Primo Steve Brenner <laughs> hype. I don't think I'll be able to do it justice, but I'll, I'll do my best. I'm very excited to be here, and I'm I, I'm glad you're having me on, man. Well, you're so young. Maybe we can make you a sobrino or, or something of, of, <laughs> of the like because you're, uh, you're a pretty young guy. Um, for those people that don't know who you are, just give us a little background of yourself. Obviously, you're someone that has followed the team um since last year so just give us a little rundown of of your background here uh yeah i've covered the team uh since its inception with five reasons sports um i obviously if you guys know me i had a little stint with onside radio there for a moment until they collapsed uh but yeah i've been covering the team initially it was as a, a fan but i have taken a more journalistic approach for the most part we'll see what happens in the coming weeks uh but you know you never know uh I've been covering the team. You know, I do a bunch of work for five reasons. There might be some stuff coming. So stay tuned for that. But I'm young, uh, doing everything I can to to keep up with the sport. And, uh, you know, Inter Miami, it's the local club. You can't not follow it, whether you're a fan or a journalist like Franco does so good at doing. So, yeah, man, uh, still young and learning the game, Uh, learning a lot from you, too, man. So uh, thank you. Thank you. That's sweet. That's music. That's music to my ears. This is the reason I brought you on, apparently. Um, Exactly. Well, Austin and I had we'll we'll give this quick side story here before we start. Austin and I had drinks last week at one of my favorite bars that I frequent very often. Um, And and we, we got to talking and. Um, we had, we shared some good some good stories there, so I thought he would be a good candidate to fill in for Steve, who unfortunately his his streak of consecutive appearances has come to an end. But Brimo should be back next week. He's in New York right now. He's on another assignment, so we'll get him back on in the short future. I know he's got you know like a cult figure here in the Inter Miami following, so. Um, now, going towards this episode, focusing on this pod, we've got a lot to talk about. Because not only did Inter Miami return to play with another loss against DC United, but there were some big storylines that came out of what happened in the match and what happened before the match. So, Austin, we'll get into all of that. We'll preview this week's, well, this Friday's game against Orlando City in what I call. The Sunshine Clásico, El Clásico del Sol, it just rolls off the tongue so amazingly in both languages. But there's a lot to talk about. So, Austin, let's get to it. Okay, Austin, so like I just mentioned, Inter-Miami returned from the international break with a road game against DC United, the same team that beat the Herons by a 3-0 score at Drive Pink Stadium at the end of May, right before the start of the international break. And this time, things went a little bit better for the team, but not all that much better, everything considered. 
The team only lost 1-0 on the road at Audi Field in Washington, D.C., but it also lost two players to red cards or ejections. We'll touch on that and discuss that later on. I have a feeling we're going to debate about some of those calls. But the biggest storyline, arguably, in this one was Gonzalo Higuain, a player who was not in the matchday roster. Gonzalo Higuain did not travel with the team. They left him back in South Florida, and the reason given was so that he could work on his fitness. Now, we've gotten an update since then with regards to that decision. Phil Neville answered some questions after the game on Saturday, and then he answered some questions today, Tuesday, at Drive Pink Stadium in the first in-person availability of the season, which was very refreshing, but we can talk about that later, later, later. Going back to Gonzalo Wayne. What did you make of his omission? Yeah, it definitely caught everybody by surprise. That's not a name, especially, you know, without having any idea of what was going on that you want to see omitted from the lineup. Uh, That's your big DP striker. That's your number nine. I mean, his face is spray painted on the floor at Drive Pink Stadium. And there's so many different, you know, reasons as to why you need this guy on the field. And for a surprise happening to occur, it kind of threw fans and media members for a loop. Now, I know that there was some talk about something happening with the lineup, but you never really know with with this team at this point. And they do keep some things very secretive, and this was kind of a big thing. And I think that the uh, fitness excuse was uh, weak, to say the least. I, I don't know if I, I think that's being a little harsh. Not I don't know. It, it was a little weak. Hey, man, uh, bring in all the hot sauce. Bring in all the hot sauce. We, don't, say, we don't stop I mean, here. had three weeks off. Uh, I don't know exactly what Higuain was doing. I'm not going to you know touch on his personal life or what's really going on. But to have three weeks off and to come back saying that you missed four or five trainings and then to not be able to compete in a match that was literally 21 days from your previous match is a little off-putting to me. And I know there's going to be questions about whether that was factual, whether the fitness thing is a valid excuse. Um, is it an actual fit in the team? Or is it an attitude? Is it a mentality? Is it a punishment from Phil Neville? Or is it a message that he's sending? So many different questions are raised about this. And I think that it's that's something that Inter-Miami have to think about Uh Going into this Orlando game, it's another thing that's going to be looked at. I know you posted an article uh, just recently about it. Don't know if Inter Miami are going to play him on Friday, but if the fitness thing is true, it's something they need to monitor and get him back to full fitness because it's someone that Inter Miami needs on the field. Look, I think that there is a semblance of truth to him not being fully fit. I think that you know that some there were some whispers actually towards the end of last week about, like you mentioned. Something with the lineup coming that was going to be a surprise. And then that Saturday, I started hearing Gonzalo Higuain might not be in it. Now, listening to Phil Neville's reasoning after the game and then hearing him you know, double down on his stance that it is a fitness thing, I believe that there is an element of truth to that. But let's hear what Phil Neville had to say after the game. I think... Uh... The decision was got with with Gonzalo was was an easy one. Uh, you know, we've, we've been working hard as a team the last uh, three weeks. Uh, he's he's missed quite a few days, <clears throat> quite a few days. So we just wanted him to get make sure that he, he got back to absolute hundred percent fitness. So uh, he, he 
he's happy with that decision. We talked, uh, you know, so there's no problems. It's not, it's not a big uh, thing. He just wants to make sure that when he plays next, he's at 100% fitness and confidence. And, uh, you know, he's working really hard, uh, you know, as the guy saw on Thursday when he came in. Also, when I heard this on Saturday, again, I thought there was some truth to it, but it doesn't pass the sniff test completely. And that's because even if Gonzalo Higuain is only able to give you 10 minutes worth of you know of game time 15 minutes why not have him travel and be an option on the bench to have at your disposal if you need him if the game calls for it if you need someone that can give you a goal why not do that especially when you don't even fill out the match day roster you don't fill out a full subs bench there were empty spaces left on the on the substitutes so why not I think him not going is a message from Phil Neville to Higuain and to the team. Now, Phil Neville said today, Tuesday, so we can update listeners who might not be aware of the of the new news. And he said, look, this is something Higuain and I have come to an agreement with. We came together to do this, and, and actually Higuain's the one leading the charge on this. He wants to be physically in top conditions before playing. But I still, I'm still not buying it. I'm still not buying that that's the only reason that Gonzalo Higuain, your DP striker, was not on your match day roster at all. And now, again, just to to present a full picture, Phil Neville also said that Gonzalo Higuain had suffered an injury to his leg. That's all we got during the international break and missed four to five days of training. However, we were told by team spokespersons on Saturday night when the lineup came out that this was not related to an injury, that it was just due to him being left behind to work on fitness. So it just doesn't it doesn't add up to me. But I am cynical and skeptical often. So I don't know. I don't know how you, what your thoughts are on it, or if you if you actually after hearing Phil speak today or, or hearing Phil's update, you you think that that uh, that that's the only reason. I kind of heard more of the same thing, and he just kind of reiterated what he said. It was a fitness thing. Um, but I wanted to touch on your point about, you know, using Gonzalo, Inter-Miami using Gonzalo Higuain in a moment where you needed a goal, especially when you didn't fill out the subs bench. I think there were only five or six people on the Inter-Miami subs bench in a game that was 1-0. You could have definitely used Gonzalo Higuain for a multitude of reasons. He has to get a goal, but also we know that we have seen him this season for inter Miami drop in deeper and, you know, create something from the midfield inter Miami almost had no chances throughout the entire match. I think they only had one in the first half with Breck Shea. So you could have used him for that reason as well. Now, if the game was out of hand for inter Miami and it was three or four nil, then no, you don't risk a player like that. But Gonzalo Higuain, has a goal in him from time to time. And if you left DC United with a point as an Inter-Miami player and as an Inter-Miami fan or a coach, you would be very happy with that given the circumstances of the game and what transpired throughout the match. And not necessarily how poor you looked, but you got dominated by DC and they had very many chances that Ola Kamara could not put away. If you could have stolen a point, would have given you a lot of momentum for Sunshine Classico. And I think looking back on it, if Phil Neville sees that you know he could have played and he was at a level of fitness where you could have gotten 20, 30 minutes out of him, you might regret it with hindsight. Look, there's I don't want to just stay on Ewing because there's a lot to dissect about the game and, and preview for Orlando City's match. 
or the match versus Orlando City, which, by the way, is winning 3-0 as we speak against the San Jose Earthquakes in their home game. So with Higuain throughout his career, there's been claims or moments where he's been accused or said to being overweight. And when you see some of these quotes from Phil Novel or you hear them, I mean, he's not saying it directly, but I feel like that's what's being alluded to. And I've heard, you know, some whispers behind the scenes that that is partially what's at play here, that there is a concern that he is overweight. Now, some people might hear that and say, oh, you know, that's that's rude or that's you know, that's messed up. But when you're a professional athlete, your physical qualities are very important. And, you know, these players, when they come in for preseason, they get measured for weight and body fat composition and and how much they run and all these things. Your body is your tool when you're a professional athlete. So, you know, being overweight as a professional athlete, you know, doesn't mean you're 20 pounds overweight. It could be five pounds overweight. Or maybe seven, eight pounds overweight. And that makes a difference, especially in soccer, where you need to be as light as you possibly can to to move around the field and make decisions in split seconds. So, like, let's just just listen to this, or let's just look at this quote. I'll I'll quote it from, from the story I wrote from Phil Neville's availability today. You think about sprinting, turning, acceleration, box to box running, kicking the ball. These are all boxes that you need to tick to be 100%. And before DC, he was not that. End quote. I mean, to me, if you don't if you don't have those boxes and you had an injury that took you out for four or five days, I don't think an injury that takes you out for four or five days is going to limit you completely from all of from being able to do all of that. And I think the box to box running is the one that most stands out to me um, because Gonzalo Higuain is a striker that has stayed mostly in the final third, occasionally dropped back into the midfield to pick up the ball, but he doesn't do a whole lot of running. So the box-to-box running phrase there from Phil Neville to me kind of sheds a light into, look, we we need to get him in much better shape so he can do at least some more running. Because at this point in his career, I don't think Otsali going, even if he gets in in, fitter, like they're looking for him to do, I don't think he's going to be someone that can high press for 90 minutes. I just don't think, one, he's that type of player, and two, he's definitely not that type of player at this point in his career when he's 33 uh, 33 years old. Austin, I want to ask you this. What What do you think's next for Higuain? Do you think he plays on Friday? Because I'm going to say he'll be on the bench, but I, I don't think he starts. I don't believe he starts either, and I, I think that Phil Neville will stick with this. I'm going to pick the people who have shown the best attitude, the best mentality, uh, and intensity in training the last couple of weeks. I think that's what he's going to go with, and you'll see Carranza up top, which who we can talk about later on. Uh, I think that he put on a performance that we don't really see from Higuain in terms of the effort. I think that Higuain, from when he joined this club, when he joined Inter Miami, to be nice about it, he was very methodical uh, when choosing to put effort in and make runs uh, on the field. That that's how I'll phrase that. And meaning he he likes to pick and choose when he would make runs for let's say Pizarro or Lewis Morgan to play him the ball. Uh, you, you touched on it. The, the high pressing is never going to be there for 90 minutes. Uh, there, there's so many different aspects of it. And I, I don't think that if they are going to claim this fitness thing, if he's not going to give you 100%, then Phil Neville may just not stand for it. Maybe he just doesn't want it to be there because it is a detriment to the entire team. It's a detriment to the attack, to the defense. 
if you're lacking one person in an instruction in, in a high press, it could you know really do you in. So there's a lot more aspects, I think, than just the fitness. It might have to do with the mentality as as well and the kind of effort he puts forth when he's wearing an Inter Miami oh, I, I, shirt. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you there as well. And let's listen to this quote from Saturday from Phil Neville. This was not about Iguain, so we'll clarify that and say that right now. This was not about Iguain, but when you hear it, then you and you think about Iguain's omission, you can kind of read between the lines there, or at least I did, and I think other people did it as well. But let's listen to it. Well, I, I think I think what what we we said is is that the players on the pitch tonight were the players that that had the best attitudes, that had, that wanted to play as a team, that were together, that had desire, that had to fought, fight for each other, all the fundamental qualities that you need in life to succeed, and. Uh, you know, Carranza, Breck Shea, uh, Lewis Morgan, the whole the whole team uh, never stopped never stopped running and fighting for each other. They stick to, they stuck to the game plan. They trusted each other, uh, and and that has got to be the norm from now on. And and you know that's what we've told them. That's what we've agreed as a team. Those are the words that the team used. Uh, you know, desire, togetherness, spirit, confidence, supporting each other. And uh, I thought I thought we got that in abundance tonight. And, and even when we went down to nine men, we had we had a team that was on the on the field that was one hundred percent committed to the Inter Miami badge. And that's why uh, I, I was super proud of them. Austin, when I hear that, when I see Gonzalo Higuain's name not in the team roster, and when you take into account Gonzalo Higuain's body language and the attitude he has displayed at times. This season, this is part of the reason why he's not he's not playing like you like you mentioned. Now I'm going to ask you quickly be, to, so we can wrap up the Iguain part of this. Speaking to his attitude, his effort, because anyone that's watching Inter Miami games closely this season, dating back to last year, knows that he has not always been the best in terms of attitude. How much do you think that quote last week about the cigarette came into play here? And if people that are listening are not aware of what the quote was, he did an interview. Uh, on a Twitch, I believe it was, with two former Italian players. So, you know, he probably felt a little more comfortable because the relationship there is different than when it's media. He, he doesn't have his guard up as much. I, I believe it was Christian Vieri, and I'm blanking on who the other Italian player is. But anyway, he said along the lines that when he arrived to MLS, he thought he would play or he'd be able to play with a cigarette. But that the league is much difficult or much much tougher than he than he thought and that you know it's a very physical league and he's working his way towards towards adjusting and adapting. So how much do you think that played a part in the decision to not have him play? I don't think that that quote in itself made the final call on Phil Neville's decision to play him or not. I will say that it was definitely a cherry on top in terms of all the different variables that we have already discussed. But let's say that he was 100% fit and he had a good mentality and he came out and say that Phil Neville is not going to leave him out of the Inter-Miami starting 11 because of that quote. It Did it help make the decision? I can't say it didn't. That That's where I'll leave it. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it was the make or break, but I think it just added more salt in the wound. And, you know, if Phil Neville was contemplating anything, then, you know, maybe, maybe that that... that sealed Iguain's fate but no I, I think it was probably already in in the cards that Iguain was not going to not going to play on on the weekend so now let's talk about the game because we've spent a lot of time talking here about Iguain. Inter Miami loses one to zero 
The starting lineup is John McCarthy in goal. Nicolas Figal at right back. Ryan Shawcross at right center back. Leandro González Pires at left center back. Christian McCoon at left back. Gregory at the six. Blaise Matuidi next to him in that double pivot on the first line of the midfield. Second line of the midfield, you had Lewis Morgan on the right. Jay Chapman at the 10. Breck Shea on the left. And up top was Julian Carranza. Inter-Miami loses this game 1-0 off an Ola Kamara penalty kick in the 71st minute. Now, there were three controversial calls or three big refereeing decisions that were made in this one. And the first one was the turning point. And it comes in the 56th minute. Gregory gets a second yellow card for a tackle on Kevin Paredes and is sent off. Now, Phil Neville said after the game he thought that the referee forgot that, or his impression was that he thought the referee forgot that Gregory already had a yellow. You know, because that obviously changes the game. Now it's 11 versus 10 in a scoreless game. Did you agree with the call? Did you think that that was worth the sending off? I don't. I, I don't think that that should have been a second yellow, maybe a first yellow. Uh, but the fact that he was already on a yellow, and I know you're not supposed to be too lenient after already giving a yellow, but for that to be the decisive call in ascending off that changes the outlook of an entire match is extremely harsh. And I would argue that even during the run of play in a regular match where Gregory is not on a yellow card, that's probably not even a first yellow. So for me, it's a very harsh call from the referee. It definitely changed the match. I'm sure we'll get into tactics in just a bit, but I never think that that is a second yellow. And I honestly didn't think about the perspective of the referee probably forgetting that he gave Gregory a yellow. So if that had something to do with it, poor refereeing, but it was poor refereeing for me just by itself that it was a second yellow to begin with. I don't think Gregory should have been sent off. And now he's suspended for the next match anyway, despite having yellows in this match. The red card obviously is again, a cherry on top, but it would never a yellow or a second yellow or a red or a sending off for me. There's, there's just no way. So I would say out of the three, this is the one I would argue in favor of Inter Miami the most. But that said, I also can see a referee sending someone off for, you know, giving someone a yellow card for that tackle. And in this case, Gregory already had one. So, you know, the sending off, I could also see the other point of the argument and saying, and someone saying, Hey, that's, yeah, that's a second yellow. Hey, you got to send him off. So I think that could have been a warning. Just my personal opinion, my personal viewpoint is that I think they could have, he could have uh, given him a warning. Fotis Bozakos, the referee, could have given Gregory one final warning and say, hey, one more rough tackle or one more tackle like that and you're out. But he decides just to give him a second yellow and that changes the game. Now, Inter-Miami has appealed that call. They're going to try to see if it can get overturned by Friday. Phil Neville said he feels optimistic that it will get overturned or he expects it to get overturned. I don't know if I agree with that because I don't know if the call is blatantly incorrect. You know, you could say it's wrong or you could say it's right, but I don't think it's blatantly clear that it's wrong or right. So I don't know if MLS is going to to rescind that, but Phil Neville said based on initial dialogue with the league that he feels uh, good about those chances. Now the next call comes in the 71st, 70th minute when Christian McCoon is called for a handball in the box that leads to Olo Kamara's game-winning penalty kick. And on this play, the ball is crossed in from the left. 
and a header goes across goal. I think it was from Brendan Heinz Ike, and it hits McCoon's outstretched arm. McCoon had his back to the ball and to the play in that moment, but his arm was outstretched, and the penalty kick is immediately called by Basakos. Kamara scores, and, and DC United takes the, the lead. Did you think that was a handball? I, this is where we're going to begin to dis- disagree. I just know it. I, I don't think that that is a handball. Now, I don't also pride myself in knowing the handball rules. I don't think anybody does because they are very difficult to understand, and I think it's mostly judgment. But from what I saw, from my perspective, watching this game and watching the replay, it is a harsh call. It's a harsh call if ever given because handballs are just tough to begin with, especially in this circumstance. But for me, Christian McCoon is jumping, and I believe he used his arms just naturally as for, for balance and motion and uh, force to get up. His arm happened to be outstretched. He didn't know the ball was coming that way. It's not like he used his arm intentionally to, to block the ball. Yes, I will say he did make himself bigger and it had a direct effect on the play, but fully unintentional. It's like if, you know, a ball's coming at a player and he has his Inten- hand. But that doesn't his- matter anymore. Intentional or unintentional doesn't matter anymore. Right. But l- let me, let me, if a ball's coming to a player and he has his hand on his, let's say his heart and it hits his elbow and the elbow deflects off, even though his arm is on his chest. Now this is not the exact scenario, Obviously, it, it changes the ball itself because it's not hitting him directly in the chest. It's hitting his elbow, and it's deflecting a different way. I think you can see this in the same way where McCoon's arm was out, yes, and it deflected the ball a different way, but with his back turned to the ball and his arms being used in a jumping natural motion. Now, I know it seems crazy because his arm was out, but they were flailing because he did use it in his jumping motion. It, it's very hard to see that as a clear handball call. Um, obviously it hit his hand it's a handball but as a handball call for it to be a penalty it's it's very harsh and, and i there's nothing you can do about it now if it's not one of those calls that you can go to mls and say i want this rescinded but it, for me it's a very harsh call and i would as a referee personally even though i am not in that field at all i would not have given the penalty to dc united i'm gonna go easy on you young buck because this is your <laughs> debut here on on miami total football radio if you were Steve, we'd be going at it a little more than we are right now, or that we're going to right now. That is a 100% a penalty kick any day of the week. I didn't know that players, when they jump in a natural movement or a natural natural motion, that their arms come out like spread eagles, because that's not how people normally jump in soccer. Sure, the arms come out a little bit, but they don't come out that far out. His arm was way out there, and it's unlucky because he was not looking at the ball, but that is... A handball any day of the week. Any day of the week. You cannot jump just flailing your body around and just hoping for the best. Look, you even see it when players slide tackle. You've seen this throughout different leagues, different tournaments. You've seen players slide for the ball. And then the cross comes in or a shot comes in and it hits their arm that's being you know stretched out while they're, while they're sliding. And that gets called as a handball. So this absolutely 100% is a penalty kick. Because he does make his profile bigger, his defensive posture becomes bigger as a result, and he's blocking the ball from being headed across goal at the six-yard box. That's a penalty kick any day of the week. Any day of the week. And the referee called it right away. Called it right away. He didn't hesitate. This wasn't something he went to VAR for. He didn't second-guess and look at the linesman. He saw it. 
clean, clear as crystal, and pointed to the spot. If his, if Christian McCoon's hand was, let's say, not you know, straight out, and it was a little bit down, uh, maybe. I, I'm not really good with like math or angles or with geometry. Angles, come on, man! <laughs> like like 45 oh. degrees, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like at an acute angle from his body, do you give it a handball if it hits him in the arm? Then that's different because then his arm is not stretched out. Like again, like an eagle, like where his arms are. It lo- he looks like you know those NBA players when they take their pictures and, the, and they're holding the basketballs, like just showing off because their arms are super long and they have a super long wingspan. That's what yeah. that's what his jump looked like. So if it, it does, the, okay. no, if his arms are tucked in more, then we're not having this discussion because then his arms aren't flagrantly not in a natural motion. Not I'm trying to natural point position. out what the I'm trying to figure out like what the this the, it, it's weird because for me watching McCoon jump, I know that it seems unnatural, but it looked like I think it's it was a clumsy right jump, man. It's a clumsy jump. It's a clumsy. He's, it's it, a. It's not a. It's not a clean jump. It's he's kind of lost and just kind of throwing himself at the ball. It's not a clean jump. That's why the motion is not a natural motion. It's not what you normally see players do when they jump, and that's why I think it, the referee made the call. But it was a part of his jump, though. That's what I'm trying to say. It was a part of his jump, and I know that you know. Then you get into what, the point what, where, oh, I, well, maybe if, well, everybody can start jumping. Yeah. With their what arms if I, what out, if I sure. just start jumping like a jumping jack, like and it hits my hand? Like that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't excuse yeah. the handball. It's, it's a handball for me, and I know there's other people that disagree, but let's keep going because there's another call. The final call. This came in the 84th minute. Was a red card, a straight red card to Ryan Shawcross. He horse collars or. Knocks over Joseph Mora and immediately is given a red card. Immediately. And he doesn't argue it, just turns around and walks off the field. Do you think this was a red card quickly? I looked back at it and the arm and the hand is closer to the neck area than the shoulder area, or more originally than I thought. So I I don't disagree that this is a straight red card. I think it's also a very controversial call. Could have gone go both ways depending on you know who the referee is and the you know the climate of the game, but with with all that said, I, I believe it was a red card just because it's dangerous. It's a hostile act in my opinion for Ryan Shawcross to pull him down from the neck area. Didn't really like it after watching it a couple times in the heat of the game. Watching it, I was like, oh, that's really harsh. But this kind of seems like I've changed. I've shifted. It's probably a. a a proudly given red card, I would say. It's a red card. And that's the thing about this sport. It's the beautiful game. Because me and you have watched the same plays and we have different opinions on them. And just like, you know, you could put 100 people in a room and maybe you have, you know, 20 different opinions on, on, on different plays. So that's the beauty of this sport. This was a red card. Especially in MLS. You can't just go in with a little bit of extra salt and pepper and then on top of that, try to throw... The player to the ground because you're frustrated. And look, he had shown signs of frustration on two different occasions prior to this. So he knew that he went in there with a little bit extra, probably got a rush of blood to the head and just knocked knocked the player knocked the player over in an unnecessary way because it was unnecessary. It was needless. He did not need to get red card. He did not need to be at risk of missing this week's game against Orlando City. And I say at risk because Phil Neville today, Tuesday, at the press conference at the stadium said he thinks MLS will also rescind Ryan Shawcross's ejection. Now, Inter-Miami has not submitted an 
official appeal for Ryan Shawcross, and the reason for that is you only get two appeals per season, and they already used one on this Gregory red card from this game. But they think that MLS on its own, at its own behest, will overturn the decision, which I, again, don't think so. But that's just what I think here as of Tuesday. We'll see what happens. It's definitely a tricky situation for Inter-Miami. We'll talk about why a little later on. Because we've been talking for a while and we still haven't even gotten to the tactics in this game. Let's quickly do that. Inter-Miami changed up the way it played in this match. Did not build out of the back. Looks like Phil Neville understood that teams are are high-pressing Inter-Miami successfully. Creating turnovers in the defensive third and turning some of those into goals. So in this one, from minute one to minute 90, whatever it was, Inter-Miami went long on every goal kick, and it looked like by design, John McCarthy was instructed to look for Breck Shea, is six foot three on the left wing, because he routinely kicked his goal kicks in that direction. And I think the idea was there from Phil Neville, have Breck Shea flick those on, maybe win a couple, but flick them on, and... Let's win some second balls and start play from the midfield where it's a little bit safer than a defensive third. So I think it worked in the sense that it avoided the mistakes that we had seen in you know the previous game against DC United, for example, where two goals come in the first 21 minutes and one comes off, a, off an attempt to build out by Nicolas Vigal. So I think it worked in that sense, but obviously it didn't lead to a lot of quality soccer from Inter Miami. They didn't have that many good moments of, of stringing passes together. There were some. There were some, including, you know, the play that leads to Breckshay's golden chance, the only shot on goal Inter Miami has, but he, he doesn't put it away. So, um, look, the, the the soccer, if we're talking from just a soccer standpoint, it wasn't better. But if we're talking about attitude, fight, effort, spirit, commitment, all those factors, it was better in that regard because the team put in more of a gritty, gritty type performance. And I think that was the game plan. Try to keep a zero at the back and try to scrape your way to a 0-0 draw or a a narrow victory. It was refreshing to see, weirdly enough, Figal lose the ball at the halfway line and not at your own 18, right? You you saw that they were trying to instruct these players to get the ball forward, not play around at the back. There was one time where they played at the back and John McCarthy was being chased down really quickly and Shawcross played it very nonchalantly. And ever since that point in the game into Miami did not mess around. Uh, another thing I noticed in John McCarthy's distribution, other than getting the ball up to, to Brexhay for inter Miami, a lot of the times when he wanted to play quickly, it would never be towards the center backs as in LGP and Shawcross or even Blaise Matuidi or Gregory. It would be to the wing backs in McCoon or Figal and have them run up the field and get the ball as advanced as possible. So you don't create those detrimental chances for yourself at the back. So I think that that is a good strategy for Inter Miami going forward uh, in terms of you know the quality they have and all of the mistakes they've made at the back. And it's something they'll look to implement throughout the rest of the season. Well, I think they're going to do it definitely in the short term because I think it suits, it better suits the talent that is available. And I think Phil Neville, maybe he took a little bit long to realize that because he was trying to have the team build out and try to play through the pressure, but he's realized that maybe that's not the right way to go about it and has now changed it. And look, they lost, but... They were in the match. And at this point, for this team, with all its flaws and deficiencies, being in the match is an upgrade from what we saw before, where they were getting completely outplayed and out-hustled and outworked. So, you know, it it sounds kind of silly. It sounds kind of, you know, 
standard or kind of like okay, wow, should we commend them for just putting in a, a effort and work when that's you know that should be a standard requirement? I mean, given where Inter Miami was before, yes, you know that that is progress. That's how low the bar was. But I mean, you know, from a soccer standpoint, things have to get better very soon because playing this way, you might be able to scrap a win here, a draw there. But I don't think it's going to consistently, consistently get you results playing, playing this way. And when I watched the game on the, on the second view, and I'll just and I'll finish up with this: the team was organized defensively. They switched out of the four-two-three-one formation and moved into a four-four-two with Jay Chapman and Julian Carranza being the the front line of the pressure, or not the pressure because they didn't they didn't really high press. But you know when, when they were in their defensive half. But with the ball, the team just doesn't have those triangles that you see from teams that like to knock the ball around they don't have associations or or partnerships there where people like to combine often it was very few and far between that you saw good soccer and again I think that was by design but long term I don't think that that's going to work in terms of getting into Miami to where it wants to be but Austin we'll leave it there we've done a very thorough and deep discussion about this game against DC United now, we're going to talk about the Orlando City game, the Sunshine Classico, but we'll take a quick break, and we'll do so after this. Well, and right the soul. Right the soul. They, 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 uh, they pay their money. They expect to be entertained. In the last game, I felt the same way as they did, and the players felt the same way as what the supporters did. We, we win, we lose, and we draw together at this football club. We're in it together. Uh, we need them, uh, uh, and we need everybody to be one. And uh, they've been they've been sensational. We want the stadium on Friday to be hostile. We want the stadium to be electric. We want the atmosphere to be great. Uh, and we want to make it a night for them to enjoy and to remember. And uh, that means that we have to put a performance on. Okay, Austin. So switching gears, looking ahead to Inter Miami's match on Friday night at Drive Pink Stadium, which will have this new blackout Drive Pink initiative. Inter Miami's giving out twelve thousand black shirts. With an Inter Miami logo on the front and a Publix and Inter Miami logo on the back, and it's just an all black shirt. It's meant to just make the stadium all black for this rivalry game on a Friday night. It's just something that they've come up with for this. First 12,000 fans in the house, get them. So if you're listening to this and planning to go to the game and you want one of those shirts, get there early. If you haven't seen a picture of it, it's on my Twitter handle and it'll be on the Miami Total Football YouTube channel tomorrow in a video that I will publish. But. Going into the game, let's talk X's and O's a little bit more. Orlando City, what are the keys to the game for Inter-Miami? Going up against uh, a team that's in second place in the Eastern Conference and that, like we said a little bit earlier ago, is smashing San Jose, the San Jose Earthquakes by a 3-0 mark right now. I, I think the first key is being compact at the back. And I know that it's said over and over again with this team, but with the attacking threats that... Orlando have now with Daryl DK coming back, Chris Mueller healthy, Nani healthy. Obviously, we don't have Alexander Pato. He's still out. But there are so many attacking threats. And one that I'm just being uh, now being exposed to is Benji Michelle, who's played really well in this game against San Jose on the left side. You are going to struggle. I think without Shawcross that, you know, he is not necessarily an enforcer, but he's a big, he's a big presence uh, in the defense. If you have to use if Inter Miami have to use Figal and LGP as the center backs, who will the wing backs be? Who has to stop 
Mueller or Michelle or Nani running up and down the wings. That was something last year that Dylan Nealis struggled with on that right side with Nani coming down on the left. So there are many different keys to this game for Inter-Miami because there's a lot that they need to fix. But do they need to pack it in almost? I would say yes. I, I think they, they need to focus all their attention on defending Orlando City well because for me it's one of the best attacking teams right now with Daryl DK back in the entire league in MLS and I don't know how Inter-Miami will be able to stop them if it's not being compact and composed at the back and being very disciplined with each other when holding a line um, in terms of trying to hold players off sides because a lot of the time Nani is going to try and play balls through to Daryl DK or he's going to come down the wing and cut balls inside so there's a lot of different keys for me but being compact and disciplined at the back and being on the same page uh, keeping your instructions clear in your head and with all your teammates is going to be very key for me. So park the bus? That's what you, you're saying, park the bus? Or are you saying just, yeah. just stay compact? I, park the bus. I, at that point, I, I think even without Gregory now, because you don't have him as defensive cover, if somebody like Figal or LGP wants to get forward and you're using Matuidi and Victor uh, Uyoa, you have to have to get all your people back. It's It's going to be tough otherwise. Yeah, so my my key to the game is similar. And I think you're going to see another ugly performance from Inter Miami at home, obviously, this time. But they have to keep defensive solidity. And I think for the most part in this game against DC United, this last game against DC United, they did a good job of that. Save for Ryan Shawcross's multiple issues dealing with Ola Kamara's movement. Leandro Gonzalez-Pires also had at least one play where he struggled to keep track of the striker. And if not for some very poor finishing, some Alvaro Morata impression type finishing from Ola Kamara, you know, Inter-Miami would have been put away a lot earlier. So, yeah, I think, look, the energy from the crowd will help Inter-Miami. The atmosphere, the fact that it's a rivalry game, the fact that no one's counting on Inter-Miami to win this game or even put up a fight, I think all those things will be used as a way to motivate and to get the team up for this one. And the fact that Orlando City's playing on short rest because they're playing tonight, Tuesday night while we're recording this. So they're only going to have two days, one day to recover, one day to, to do a light training session before they play Inter-Miami. I think all those things play uh, are pluses for the Herons, but... But at the end of the day, quality normally still rises to the top. So for Inter-Miami to try and keep stay in this game and try to at least get a result in this game and avoid the type of boos and jeering and stuff that we heard last game, the chance, the critical chance, which again, completely, completely into Inter-Miami fans doing that and expressing their displeasure, they have to keep the zero at the back. Stay compact. I don't know if Park the Bus. I think more along the lines of how they played against DC United. You you defend in your half, but not necessarily so not 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 as deep as where you're parking the bus. Because parking the bus normally refers to you just you know slamming the box with four or six players and then having the the other line in front of it. So I think defending in your half and trying to look to hit on different moments in certain moments, be it on a counter or be it off. A second ball, and then you know you you win in that advantageous position. I think that should be the game plan. But defense first, defense first. And I think Phil Neville knows that because all he's talked about since the international break has come to an end is being tougher to play against, being one of the hardest working teams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not a lot of 
you know, tactically we want to do this, we want to we want to do this in the attack. It's I think it's clear that Inter Miami has its limitations, and that Phil Neville knows that it has its attacking limitations. So, defense first, defense first. Quickly, Austin, give me a lineup prediction. Let's go with the assumption that Gregory and Ryan Shawcross are not in there because if they're not. Because if they are in there, we know they'll be starting, and we know more or less who comes out. So let's go with them not being in and who replaces them and what the lineup is. You can start if you want, or I can go, and you can copy my test, whatever you want. I'll, I'll go really quickly. Uh, John McCarthy in goal, of course. I think McCoon did enough in the D.C. game to keep the left-back spot. I, and also, I should say, first to formation. Phil Neville will stick with a 4-2-3-1. You have to be comfortable in a game uh, against an opponent that is of higher quality than you. So McCoon will play left-back, I think, because Shawcross is out. Inter Miami will have to put out LGP and Figal as center-backs. Hopefully, for their sake, Kelvin Leardham is healthy enough to play right-back. If not, I'm not sure what you do. Uh, maybe if... Leardom isn't healthy, then you slot McCoon into center back, Figal out wide, and then Jones on the left. It just depends on both of those wing backs' uh, fitness. In the midfield, I think you have to go with uh, Victor Uyoa and Blaise Matuidi at the number 10. If Pizarro can't go, you have to go Chapman again. I think that's exactly where Phil Neville will go on the left. Breck Shea on the right, Lewis Morgan, and up top again, no Gonzalo Higuain. It'll be Julian Carranza. Okay, Austin, so I think we have the same starting lineup. I'm just going to do it in a bit different way because I always go from right to left. So, 4-2-3-1, John McCarthy in goal. I think absolutely Kelvin Leardon gets the start at right back. I liked what I saw from him off the bench in terms of his attacking ideas. So, I, I think he'll start, even though this game will be a little bit more, or it will probably be defensive-minded. You put him at right back. He's the only other natural right back you have in your roster. Nicolas Figal at right center back. Leandro gonzalez Pires at left center back. Christian McCoon at left back. I thought he held up well. You know, he's a little bit limited. Doesn't go forward. But in these type of games where you're not necessarily looking to attack all that much so you don't leave spaces in behind, I think he'll do the job or he'll be tasked with doing the job like he did against DC United just Defend, no nonsense defending, smash the ball out. You don't need to be clean on the ball, etc. etc. Your two holding midfielders will be Victor Uyoa and Blaze Matuidi. The next midfield line will probably stay exactly the same with Lewis Morgan, Jay Chapman, and Brick Shea. And up top, I think Julian Carranza absolutely gets another start after showing a lot of sacrifice and effort um, against DC. DC United. Austin, with that in mind, give me a prediction for this weekend, por favor. I'm actually going to use a little bit of Lewis Morgan's insight here. He said the last time that they've played, or the last couple times uh, that Inter-Miami have played Orlando, there have been goals, and I think that there will be goals yet again. And I'm going to say 4-1 to one Orlando City with the win. So Miami gets on the board. It gives its fans something to cheer about, but it loses big. That's your prediction. Okay. I think Inter-Miami loses this game 3-0. Three zero. Yeah, I don't see them scoring. Uh, you know, I think they're due for a goal because they they're they're three games in without a goal. But I don't know if they're going to do that against Orlando City, who's a very good team. And, and look, Orlando City's missing some players, man. They're missing their starting goalkeeper Pedro Galese, who's with the Peruvian national team right now, Copa America, and they're missing Jackson Mendes. He's with Ecuador in Copa America as well. So even with some omissions, this team is still able to get results and overwhelm opponents as we've seen 
tonight against San Jose. So, unfortunately for Inter-Miami fans, I don't see an Inter-Miami victory. Maybe they get a goal, but I'll, I'll say 3-0 Orlando City. We'll stop there. We have our Q&A session to do still, so we'll get to that after this. Austin, it's your first Q&A session. Are you thrilled? I am thrilled. I, I like when you guys do these. It, it, it's exciting to respond to the, the people listening uh, because, you know, they get to hear exactly what they want to know. So that's pretty cool. I like that you guys do this. Okay, so the first question comes from, this is like your first penalty kick, so I hope you don't, you know, get, get nervous and uh, completely... Gonzalo bo- Higuain? Com- <laughs> dang, dang. I hope Gonzalo Higuain doesn't listen to the show because... Uh, <laughs> He might, he might come looking for you. Um, okay, first question comes from Roger Ojeda. Will there be any additional movement in the summer transfer window in addition to Gibbs and Marsman, of course? So I'll just answer this one very straightforwardly because we got an update today from Phil Neville on that. It's a talking point that we wanted to fit in in, in the show earlier, but we couldn't, so we're glad you asked this, uh, Roger. There apparently will not be any more movement. Phil Neville said today he sees Barsman and Gibbs as the only business Inter Miami will do. Now, he left the door open by saying that they're scouting players and at all times and looking for players at all times, but that's what he said. He said that he doesn't expect any other business to happen. Now, if Rodolfo Pizarro is sold, does that open the door for a DP to come in? Yes, I would think so, but right now, those two players might be the only reinforcements that are on the way. So, you know, take that for what it is and, and you know, assess what you think about the whole thing. Next question comes from Fighting Herons. Has Phil completely abandoned the attacking free-flowing style yet? If not, how many more games until we go full five at the back, counterattack, Mourinho ball, in your opinion? Austin, I will ask you to start here because you know you're pretty close you're getting you're getting pretty close to Mourinho ball um based off what I heard in the last segment yeah Mourinho ball shouldn't be too far away if Phil Neville is listening to to me on on Miami Total Football Radio um I I think that it's it's very debatable topic because it's not a a a style of football that's attractive and that Inter Miami are probably set out to want to do but in terms of logistics and how you need to approach every single game differently, because in MLS, in this tough league, every team has all these different styles and it's just all over the place. The parity is unmatched. You have to adjust game by game. So I don't know if Phil Neville has enough to pack it in and say, you know, this five at the back defensive style needs to be something inner Miami have to go with throughout the rest of the season, but against a worthy opponent like Orlando, I wouldn't rule it out. I'm gonna say that he's still not there yet. Not not quite there yet. He's he's obviously going defensive and trying to be a tough team defensively and making that the foundation and the starting point. But I don't think he's quite there yet to completely park the bus and you know, to answer your question more directly is with five at the back. I don't think I don't think he's he's quite there just yet. Next question comes from Luis. 
Every other team in MLS has improved. Miami seems to be the only one since week one that has deteriorated week after week. Can we start looking at Phil for the cause? Now, if Steve was on the show, and I'm going to tell him that I said this because I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying this behind his back or when he's not around, I think Steve would absolutely say, no, what are you talking about? No, that's not, no, that's wrong. He only has what he can work with because that's, we've heard him in other questions, similar questions, say something along those lines. And I'm only teasing, Steve. Shout out to you in, in New York City. I hope you're, you're doing good with your, or doing well, excuse me, with your coverage over there. Uh, look, I think Phil Neville has some element of blame. I don't think he's blameless. I, I've, you know, criticized him in certain moments when I think he's botched it. And, that, you know, that goes back to week one against LA Galaxy by not taking off a very, Clearly fatigued Jovan Jones. That goes back to the last home game against DC United where he came out with this new 3-5-2 formation trying to make something happen, trying to look for an answer, and it just did not work. So I don't think he's blameless, but I don't think it's just on him. I think there are other things going on. You know, you look, you look, just look at the DPs, for example. None of them are performing. That's a big strike against Inter-Miami on its own. But then look at... The situation with Gonzalo Higuain, he's not fit after having three weeks off, obviously missed some time apparently, but he's not fit and not playing. And your other DP is obviously going through also this mysterious injury situation, yet he's being called up by Mexico for a pair of friendlies. He was called up on Monday for their friendlies before the Gold Cup and might be included in the Gold Cup. So it's just a bit strange. It's all a bit strange. I wouldn't be surprised if there's things going on behind the scenes in terms of just dissension in the ranks or players not buying into the message and et cetera, et cetera. Winning breeds confidence. Inter Miami's not doing that right now. So that also adds further elements of frustration and lack of buying into things. For me, I fully agree with almost everything that you just said. But I want to put into perspective one thing. And this might be a little bit of a hot take and I'm ready for all the heat from all the Miami Total Football listeners if you think by nine games into the season last year that Diego Alonso should not be fired, then Phil Neville should not be fired. But if you thought nine games, ten games into the season that Diego Alonso should be fired by this time, then you should also think that Phil Neville should be fired at this time. They're both dealing with circumstances, in my opinion, that are out of their control. I don't believe that this team was built in a good way, in a way that gives any coach that would come in uh, any method of success. I, I think it's been very tough on the coaches. And for me, if you are to fire Phil Neville by the end of the season, it shows that something is truly wrong. And I don't think that the club wants to have their third head coach going into their third season. It, so they probably won't do it. Inter Miami probably won't do it by the end of the season. But looking back on it and looking back on Diego Alonso, for me, he was hard done by. So that's kind of my not so answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a hot take. It seems like an ice cold take. Cause you, you just, you're just kind of like, hey, if you think this last year, you got to think this this year. Well, I, for, well, the hot take is I don't think Diego Alonso should have been fired. Personally, I, I don't. I think mean, that I, I think that that's a time. growing. I think there's a growing segment of fans that believe that as they see the results this year. I even know? said it after the playoff game. I made a whole Twitter thread about it. Oh, no, right I, after I, the I, playoff I, game, I was like, look, Diego Alonso has been hard done by hard done by he's a proven winner he was given a terrible roster i mean he did what he could and we're seeing it now with phil neville who's buddy buddy with david beckham 
he's struggling as well. It's not a method for success, uh, what this roster and the depth has. Well, no, I, I definitely thought last year either one of Diego Alonso or Paul McDonough should go, and then the other one should stay, and I kind of sided more with Diego Alonso staying because yeah. he didn't build the roster, and the roster clearly has holes, clearly. But anyway, that's water under the bridge. Um, with regards to to what you said, look, in MLS, nine games is nothing. So you can't... In MLS, is unheard of to fire a coach after nine games, their first nine games with the team. Didn't, it's longer term... Go ahead. If I, if I may, didn't Frank DeBoer get fired very quickly by Atlanta? But he was already... He had already had a season. He had in, a season. Okay, so, that's... Yeah. Or, or maybe a little bit more than a season. I mean, that was a season in change, at least. So what I'm saying is coaches get some time to build a project. And, and that Frank DeBoer exit was pretty surprising because it doesn't happen that quickly, that often in MLS. So nine games in, it's not likely that Phil Neville's going anywhere. So... And you need to give him more time to see if he can improve on things. Plus, he's got ties with one of the owners. So he's going to be given a long, long leash. Longer than Diego Alonso got. Next question comes from Lloyd Halebrun. He has two. And by the way, Lloyd, I have not forgotten your question from a few weeks ago about finding out what's going on in West Palm Beach with the TV and the games. Still working on that. I've got you very, very soon. But Lloyd Halebrun asks, Why can Jeff Cameron, whose season ended in England, sign with Cincinnati in, in March and play against Inter-Miami days later, but Inter-Miami's two European imports whose European seasons have also ended can't play until July? And the next question is, Any truth to the rumor that Gonzalo stayed behind to buy cigarettes? Which <laughs> we, we saw a lot of jokes about that on social media since Inter-Miami's game on Saturday. So, you know, there's no truth to that, obviously. The other question, I, I also heard some good jokes like, Oh, he, he went for a smoke break or something of, along the lines. But... Um, to answer the other question, I think it's a very good question, and I actually looked into this when I when it came in yesterday, and I tried to do some research and try to find out why, and I don't have an answer for you, Lloyd. Lloyd, your questions always stump me. Uh, I'm going to look into why that is, because yeah, that, that is an interesting development that Jeff Cameron, and he, his season didn't end in March. I think that was a typo on your part. I think you meant May, because his season ended in May, but then he, eight days later, was playing with Cincinnati against Inter-Miami, whereas Inter-Miami's players do not arrive until July. And they were actually expected to arrive before July 1st just to get acclimated to the new surroundings and to the teammates and to be ready to play as of July 1st. But now with visa issues, because of COVID and how things have changed and how complex they are now, Phil Neville says he doesn't expect at least Kieran Gibbs until the first week of July. And that might be the same case for Nick Marsman, who was seen this week training with Feyenoord. So... Very possible that, that they don't get here until the first week of, of July just to start training with the team. And I think Phil Neville added that he, he hopes that they're both available for the July 17th game, I believe was the date, against the New York Red Bulls. So that's that's an update for them on them as well that I wanted to fit into the show earlier, but given how packed it was, we didn't get to it, but I'm glad glad you, you asked. Um, we'll, we'll go to the next question because we still have a few more. And Austin, I'll let you start here if that's cool. Lucho Lalo, 1896. Since we have the sanctions coming up next two years, are we stuck with Neville? If we get rid of Neville now, I doubt we will find higher a coach that would have to run a team that is depleted on money to get the players he'd want. Nonetheless, is Phil the issue? Should he be fired? So we kind of touched on this. For me, you cannot fire your second coach in a row so very quickly, especially with, I didn't even think about that, the sanctions coming. Inter-Miami are going to need some consistency uh, in a sense because this is a guy who's already gotten to work with this roster. You don't want somebody else to come in and have to work with a roster that's 
going to be very limited in terms of changes um, and, and signings. So I think, yes, you need to stick with Phil Neville if you are inter Miami and you should not necessarily be happy with it, but it's, you have to be content with it because it's better than moving from coach to coach. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we, we pretty much touched on this. And as, as you can see, fans are growing frustrated with Phil Neville as well because this is a question we actually are getting a lot more of in, in recent weeks. You know, the Inter-Miami fan base is cutthroat. They want wins. They want wins. And, and clearly Inter-Miami's not doing a good job at that. So the next question comes from Papo to Papa, 1896, another Vice City member, apparently. And we do like Vice City and what you guys do and represent. So shout out to you. Shout out to the Siege. Shout out to the Southern Legion. All three of you in La Familia, you guys make a heck of an atmosphere at the games. And I really do enjoy that element of Inter-Miami matches because the soccer, clearly, like you guys know, has not been up, up to par. But he asks, why Federico Iguain was subbed in at the end? Shouldn't he have started with 10 men and him in the game? I felt we could have tied that game. Then Sean Cross with the red card killed it entirely. He is bad. He needs to go. And why did MLS find Gregory? MLS has it out for us. Really hate us. Shake my head. So there's a lot of questions there. Uh, I'll work backwards here, and then you know, Austin, you can you can add if you if you'd like. MLS fined Gregory for not leaving the field in a timely manner. So after red card, you can stay and talk and have a discussion for a little bit. But if you take t- too long or longer than MLS deems appropriate, then you get fined. So that's why Gregory got fined. He didn't leave fast enough. And I guess you didn't ask me a question on Shawcross, but you said he needs to go. Again, nine games into a season, I don't think that a player is going to to be cut. However, I I agree that he started well and has now started to fade pretty badly. So the jury's out on on what he can be for this team because if this is it, it's not good enough. You you need to be more consistent than this, especially when you're an experienced player like him. And why didn't Iguain start? Well, again, going back to the tactical standpoint, I think Phil Neville was looking for a defensive-minded game plan, scrap battle, fight, not necessarily what Federico Iguain brings to the table. He's more of a creative guy, a number 10, that can unlock a defense. But if you're looking to have players that are going to expend energy and put in the dirty work or the, the dirty running and the defensive work, then that, he's not necessarily the player for that. So I think that's why he didn't start, and I think that's why we didn't see him until the very end when, you know, it was essentially a Hail Mary from, from Phil Neville. He was looking just to see if Federico Iguain could come up with some magic because from the run of play, Inter Miami, especially with nine men, wasn't really going to... Yeah, to I think that Jay Chapman start was something that alluded to the fact where Phil Neville said he was going to put out a team that was going to be high intensity and basically getting stuck in. And that's what Jay Chapman did. No, he did not create chances as you would want a number 10 to do. But he did get stuck in. He ran back, made tackles, pressed when he needed to. I think you also mentioned earlier on that they did go to some sort of a 4-4-2 when trying to play in a defensive lineup where Carranza and Chapman were, I guess, attacking from the front as defenders. So Federico doesn't bring you that. He doesn't bring you that uh, kind of intensity and get stuck in mentality to win the ball back in this scrappy sort of play. He is one of those people who need to sit back, create chances, unlock the defense, play balls through, and totally different types of style of play. But Phil Neville wanted a certain tactical approach, and that's that's what he went with. Last question, Austin, and you can start here. Por favor, it comes from Eric. Since I live up here in Jersey, I wanted to know if the July 3rd game against CF Montreal will be open to fans to attend. Thanks. So actually, I maybe I should start there because I don't know if you know the answer to that. I don't know the answer. Okay, so... Um, 
I don't know the answer either, but based off of last year, MCF Montreal's games at Red Bull Arena, they did not open the stadium to fans. I imagine that will be the case here, but I don't know for sure. I will work to confirm that and get back to you. And for whoever is unaware, Inter Miami announced this week that it's July 3rd game that was originally scheduled to be played at Drive Pink Stadium because that's where CF Montreal is playing its home games right now. So it was meant to be a Montreal home game? Yes, it was a Montreal home game, but it's been moved because of the CONCACAF Gold Cup preliminary rounds is being played at the venue now. So now Montreal is taking its home game, quote, quote, to Red Bull Arena where it played last year. So that does it for the Q&A session. Austin, what is your final thought or your final thoughts? Hashtag bring back El Primo. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I had an amazing time, man. And, and talking into Miami with you is always fun. We will definitely be, uh, be going out soon and getting some more drinks to discuss things. Absolutely. Uh, but this was fun. I hope the listeners enjoyed. It's going to be a tough match for all the listeners and fans in, uh, enjoying this podcast. Inter Miami are going to have to put in quite the shift to, to manage any kind of result against Orlando. And I said they would get a goal out of the kindness of my heart. And especially because they haven't scored in three games, I think Inter-Miami are due for one, like you said. So those are my final thoughts. Brace yourself for not necessarily a beatdown to Orlando at home. I know the atmosphere will be great for the fans, but it might not be the best product on the field that we'll we'll have seen all season. But with that said, I I really appreciate you having me on. And um, if El Primo wants to take any other vacations, I'd be happy to fill in any (laughs) time. He's not on vacation. He's working, sir. But yes. Oh, he's working? Yes, yes. What a man. (laughs) But my final thought is two things. And look, we're glad that you came on. Uh, Happy you were able to fill in um, on, on pretty short notice, you know. Uh, I'm glad you were also able to meet up for drinks so we could talk in person. Obviously, we had done so before, but just to get to know each other a little bit better before we came on. So that that was cool. Glad to have you on. We'll definitely have you on again in, in the future. But my final thoughts are, I have two, two of them. One is on Blaise Matuidi, who we didn't talk about on this pod. Today, he was one of the players that spoke to us in this in-person availability. And this was the first time he had spoken to media since 2020. Obviously, he was in the midst of the MLS investigation but he spoke today, he was asked about it, and you know, he didn't say a whole lot, but he did say that, you know, he tried to focus on the field. That's where he tried to put his focus on, that he did have to explain to his family that like, hey, these stories, you know, there's something going on here, but you know, I I I didn't do anything wrong, which is what MLS ultimately said. That he did not do any any wrongdoing. There was no violations on his part. It was from up above him. So just a quick little update to maybe round out that Blaze Matweedy investigation story. My second thought is how wonderful and how refreshing it was to have in-person talks with the team again. Or yeah, I mean, again, because we did do it for a portion of the beginning of the 2020 season, but you know, it's been more than a year since we've been able to talk to people in person, talk to the players, talk to the coaching staff. And obviously it's still in a press conference setting but it's so much more refreshing you just get on a professional standpoint a completely different vibe and energy and you know it humanizes the whole thing where i mean anyone that works that has been working on the computer as opposed to in an office or whatever can probably relate you lose that element and just having that again was awesome was awesome and i'm looking forward to more of that uh, in the coming weeks because you know you get to banter about a little bit with them you get to 
talk to them and get to know their personalities a little more and as opposed to on zoom it's a little bit awkward and you know there's sometimes technical difficulties this in-person availability was was great was great on a professional standpoint maybe you know fans don't care about that but i think it all i think it will help bring out more information going forward to them more news because we will have more of a relationship established with a working relationship established with the protagonists of this team but that does it for this week's show it was a long one we talked about a lot we'll be back next week we'll talk about the sunshine classical we'll see how inter miami does maybe they can pull a rabbit out of a hat and surprise us all and if they do we'll definitely definitely be on a twitter space after the game or the next day to to dissect that before we come back on next week's pod so thank you so much for listening for Austin Robillard, for Steve El Primo Brenner, who is somewhere in New York in the Big Apple having a good old time. I'm Franco Panizo. Enjoy the game if you're going, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. Peace.